Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks, to Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach. Back in the saddle is my producer, co-host, call screener, engineer, Mr. Morales, Chris Morales. Welcome back, sir. Thank you very much. Good to be back. 646-564-9909, 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call and speak to us. If you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our show website. It's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. You can also listen to the show via our call in line, which we just gave you, 646-564-9909. If that's your only means to do so, then you got to make it happen. Make it happen. All right, like we said, welcome back. Good to have you back in the saddle. Uh, we had some technical difficulties the last couple of shows. I've so heard. I want to <laughs> state just for the right up front that I do not have confirmation that those have been resolved. So uh, everyone listening out there, just in case uh, the same thing, the Twilight Zone thing that happened the last couple of shows repeats itself. Uh, we will do what we did before, uh, handle it, and uh, get back up live going and uh, continue on. We're not uh, affected by uh, 
these shenanigans. Stuff. <laughs> Just stay on board, though. Don't abandon ship. Don't abandon the ship, right? Um. So last last week, I fu- different from the first time it happened. Last week, I kind of figured out the workaround, but it involved actually ending my show uh, and then restarting. Uh, yeah, a second show. So um, we ended up having uh, a two-part show. What's so, the? Ha, have you gotten it down to like a NASCAR pit stop yet? What's the? Yeah, what's the delay um, time there? I got it down last week because the first week, of course, we were floundering. We didn't know what was going <laughs> on. Um, it wasn't until it was done that we realized we had a network server error, which means it's a problem on their end, not ours. Uh, last week, I immediately realized what was going on. I got communication that I wasn't being heard out in the you know, out in the uh, universe, um, in radio land. And so I immediately, you know, went into uh, pit stop mode. And about, probably I was down for about seven or eight minutes. All right. So it happens today. I think uh, we should be able under to Under five? Yeah, we should get it in under five. <laughs> All right. And knock some time off of that. Um, you know what today is? Yeah, we do. A special day. Yes. The uh, beginning for some full teams and some just rookies and quarterbacks of minicamp for the NFL. Uh, That's actually a question you've been alive and watching football a lot longer than I have. Some teams have the full team report in one day and some have rookies and quarterbacks, and then the veterans come three, four days later. What is the deal? I think they just stole it from baseball where pitchers and catchers report report first first. and then the rest of the team report second. All right. Uh, It's kind of annoying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Usually today most of the teams are are, are reporting, and then maybe tomorrow is actually the first official day for everybody. Right. Most today they're doing their press conferences and opening statements and whatever the hell they do before they get down to business. Um, so we'll see, but I don't know why they do that. It's kind of annoying to be honest. It is. Yeah. And every team is different. So mm-hmm. there's no, you just have to look for your team and mm-hmm. see what's going on. Yep. So they got it from, they stole from baseball because okay. I mean, for years we'd always be pitchers and catchers. Right. Right. First four weeks. That's it. So, um, last week's show was on forgiveness. And one of the things I want to do in our recap is reiterate something that we probably didn't spend enough time on. We did touch on it, but I don't think spent enough time on it because I, you know, lost a little bit of our mojo with the uh, interruption. So, but one of those items is the time issue. Uh, when we do the seminar on forgiveness, one of the common things that are, are, or questions that are asked are uh, about the time that it may take for different people to process through the forgiveness experience. Mm -hmm. And I know I mentioned that it's different for everybody, depending on what the issue may be, that forgiveness is needing or wanting for. Yeah. Um but it's important to reiterate that um for each individual 
their process of going through that forgiveness experience is going to be different because each person is different and circumstances and issues are different. Right. And so um, we don't want it to appear that someone could accomplish something in a day, a week, a month, even a year, depending on what it is. Sure. Um, They have to go through their process. And as we talked about the different steps, who knows how long it may take someone to go through the steps, those processes. And so uh, someone shouldn't feel that uh, there's a time, you know, a time clock attached to it. Now, that does not mean that whilst in the the grasp (laughs) of, of the providers and of the staff, of the counselors, that we may not look at your situation, your circumstance, and determine as an outsider looking in that, you know what, maybe two years is too long of a time for this particular issue for you to move forward in the forgiveness process. Right. I understand your baseball card was stolen in the second grade. (laughs) I think it's time. Time to move on. Time to move on. Yeah, that's a good point. And we joke, but uh, to make a serious point. All right, we're moving on to our topic. Sounds good. Another subject that uh, is usually very energized in our seminar circles, conquering our fears, insecurities, and inadequacies. And they're listed in that order for a particular reason. Fear is one of the core feelings that we talk about in flap, fear, loneliness, anger, pain, and pleasure. Mm -hmm. Um, However, every client that I've ever come into contact with and had an opportunity to sit down with, have lunch with, have dinner with, etc., I have always said to them that if there's one thing that you do before you leave these doors... Make sure that your fears, your insecurities, and your inadequacies are thoroughly vetted. What do I mean by that? So in my description, my topic description, I wrote that they must be identified. They must be examined, validated, and that's a very important step, the validation and we're going to come back to that and talk about why. It's important and very controversial. Okay? Addressed and resolved. Prior. I yell because it's in capitals. <laughs> Prior to leaving the treatment setting. Now, identifying it. So, The exercise that I do is I give a piece of paper, and there's three columns. Column one says fears, column two says insecurities, and column three says inadequacies. Hand them out to everyone. And before we move forward, we first all must agree on what the definition of each word means. So we're all operating from the same mindset. Sure, okay. So for the sake of our topic for the show... Let's agree on what the definitions are. So fear, 
a feeling experience in anticipation of some specific pain or danger. Okay, I can agree with that. Yeah. Okay, got that. Okay. Insecurity. The feeling you experience when you feel vulnerable and lacking in self-confidence or assurance. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. Yep. Okay. Inadequacy. A feeling of incompetence. Okay. Short yeah. and sweet. Sure. Okay. All right. So we have I agree with all three, yeah. We have agreement across the board. We're on the same page. Okay. So once we accomplish that, then we start to examine. So I just to say, write down, we start with fears, all the fears you have except, and this is very important, and we do this for the sake of time, Don't I don't want to know about your fear of death. I don't want to know about your fear of flying. I don't want to, yeah, your fear of heights. I don't want to know about the general fears that most of the population may have. Spiders. You know what I mean? Exactly. I want to know about the fears specific to you that hold you back from accomplishing things or doing things that are important to you. Okay? So that kind of helps narrow it down because otherwise we're going to see, you know, if I have a fear of death, I have a fear. Like right. who doesn't, you know, a fear of flying? Who doesn't? Fear of right. spiders and fear of, you know, drowning and all that stuff. Unless I say, well, you can put fear of flying if you've had a very bad flying experience. That's, you know, that's valid. Something reasonably traumatic. Right, right. You, if you have a frame of reference, put it down. And so we get people to... Write down on a piece of paper, and the writing down is very important. Mm. The process of, of, okay, mm-hmm. and before even the thought, the knowing in your gut, the feeling, right, what the fears are, them coming, transforming themselves into thought. Follow me now. I know I'm getting esoteric on you. Mm-hmm. I'm following. Okay. And then it exercising its way out of your body through the hand onto the paper. And you seeing it being written. That's yeah. all part of the exercise. I'm writing it down. Uh, and that I'm, makes a lot of sense okay. in a lot of different kinds of venues, too. Okay. So I'm writing it down on paper. It doesn't mean the person sitting next to me can see it. Because sometimes I tell people, look, if you have to go in a closet to do this exercise, I don't care. Right. What's important is that What's required, and I should have stated this at the beginning, what's required for this exercise more than anything else is gut-level honesty. Mm-hmm. And, if order, and if in order to be that and to do that, you need to lock yourself in the closet where no one else can see what you're writing, <laughs> I don't care what you have to do. Right. But the exercise doesn't work unless you can do gut-level work. Okay? So I need your fears from a gut level. And you write those down. Yeah. I need your insecurities from a gut level. And you write those down. Mm-hmm. And then I need your inadequacies, things you feel inadequate about, from a gut level. And you write those down. And once we get them on paper, we can now look at them. Okay? Now, people think, be careful now. That just because you feel something, that just because you feel something, that that makes it so. Okay, yeah. Okay? 
we say, no, you have to validate it. So when someone says, well, I feel ugly, I'll say, well, did you validate that? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, you say you feel ugly. Has anyone told you or, or have you been told by others, like frequently, you're ugly? No. Um, have you, did you receive a letter in the mail talking about how ugly you were? Right. No. So the person has nothing they can point to externally that has occurred, meaning that they didn't receive external feedback. You know what I mean? Yeah, Which right. then would be a frame of reference externally. Yeah, that's driving that Okay, feeling. that's driving that. So where is that coming from? I feel ugly. Now, we then flip it and say, well, did you receive any opposite comments? Like, did someone say, hey, you know... You're a handsome guy. You know, hey, you're a good-looking fella. Mm -hmm. Did you get any of those comments? Oh, yeah, I've heard that before every now and then from some of the ladies. So then why do you have this, my hands are up in quotes, feeling that you're ugly? Right. Where is that coming from? And I usually get the proverbial, I don't know. They can't source it. Right. And you can't put it on the paper. Because the only thing that can go on the paper, I mean, remain on the paper, you have to cross it out, is what you can validate. So if you've gone on 15 dates and all 15 ladies have said, you know what, you're not a very good-looking guy, then you know what? Keep it on the paper. It stays on the paper. <laughs> right. You have a frame of reference to validate how you feel. You didn't just pull it out of your rear end. Is that safe to say? That's appropriate. Okay. Or, how can we make this clean for the radio? You aren't mind-blanking yourself. <laughs> what, 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 how were you saying it? Mind-making love to yourself? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, because we have to be careful of that, too. So that's or, what... or even fishing for reassurement, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, saying that for attention uh, in the opposite yes. regard. Right. I'm ugly. No, you're not. You're a good-looking guy. Right, right. So we make you write it down, and then you have to then validate it for it to stay on the paper. So someone may list seven things that are real fears for them. And I'm just historically averaging, by the time we're done, they might be left with three or four real things that they've been able to validate. And the reason why that's important to get that whittled down to what's real, what you can really sink your teeth into, because that's what we're going to work on. Yep. That's what we're going to work on, what's real. Not what's imagined, not what you made up in your mind, not what you wish for, but what's real. Okay, and we when we go through the same thing with the insecurity and the inadequacy, the insecurity and the inadequacy column, that one gets tricky only because sometimes they may cross over. 
Right. If you're a member of the definition, the feeling you experience when you feel vulnerable or lacking self-confidence or assurance, okay, and then for inadequacy is a feeling of incompetence. Right. Okay. And sometimes you could say a feeling of incompetence, and, and, and if you were to say it in a sentence, I don't feel secure with my ability to do this thing here that you're asking me to do. Right. I don't feel secure with my confidence level. Okay. So it sometimes bleeds over the, into the two columns. Insecurity. And that's okay. We source it out and see which one, you know, wh- which column does it really belong in? Is it an insecurity, or inadequacy? We figure that out. And we get it into the right column. What's important is whatever it is, if it's valid, that it just it's out. Right, that you've written it on the paper exactly. and we're going to discuss it. Right. So, interesting saying about fear. When I was a resident, the first thing I did in front of the family was do the saying of the day. And my saying was, Courage is not the absence of fear, but the conquest of it. Mm-hmm. Example, any fireman will tell you when they go into a burning building that they are afraid. Right. But they put the fear to the side and they exercise courage, go in and take care of their business. Doesn't mean that they weren't afraid, but they did whatever they had to do to do whatever they needed to do. Yeah. They put the fear to the side. So they acted in spite of the fear. Okay. Which is what, in essence, we have to teach the clients to do. Because there's no magic pill to make the fear disappear. We acknowledge that the fear exists. It's, can we now get to a place where, in spite of the fear, we can still act? Okay. So while I'm talking, I want you to think, Mr. Co, Mr. Co-host, uh, think of a fear that one of our clients, just from your experience, yeah. years of experience, might throw out at us, and we'll use that as an example. Sure. What we do with insecurity, which we said is a little bit more touchy, is we want to also explore them. After, of course, we validated and narrowed them down. Some of them are things that cannot be changed. So I think what I should have added in my topic description is acceptance. Okay. Because in talking about this topic over the years, sometimes people say things like, I'm insecure with the way I look. More specific, oh, I have big ears. Well, there's nothing we can do about your big ears. Well, maybe in today's world there is something that can be done. Of course, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But for the sake of our discussion, nothing we can do about your big ears, your big nose, your big whatever, or your small eyes, or whatever it is, whatever physical trait that you have been blessed with through uh, your family family genes, there's nothing we can do about it. Right. Okay, so the question becomes, can you accept what it is, learn to love yourself the way you are, and move forward? Or how can we get you to that space if you're not there? 
that becomes what the task is because obviously we're not going to be doing any plastic surgery here and, and modifying your ears to your liking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes in this particular column, you'll find a lot of people, you know, not liking their physical body. Right. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Didn't we develop a group uh, I a while to- back? I want to say that we With did. With adolescents specifically? Yeah, I, I can't. Body image. Is that, Wasn't it called body image? I think so, yeah. One of the uh, one of the clinicians on our staff yeah. had created that group for exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Kind of a forum for them to be able to talk about these things. and Because typically at the adolescent stage, that's more of an issue than yeah. when you become an adult. But you will be surprised, my friend. When you get down to the gut level, what adults feel, because these are things that maybe they may not have brought to the fore and talked sure, about in their, sure. in their past. And so weight sometimes is a big one. Um, but see, the difference with when, when someone writes down weight, that's something that the person, if, let, let's say, I don't like, and in both ways, by the way, mm-hmm. someone that's skinny might say, I wish I weighed a little bit more. Someone that's, that's heavy might say, I wish I weighed a little bit less. Well, Either one may be able to do a little something with with it. The question is, are you up to the task, up to the challenge yeah. to affect the change that you want to see, which would then have this chain reaction effect on the insecurity itself. Right. Okay? But more often than not, with a physical trait, there's nothing we can do about it, so we have to move into how do we get you to the acceptance. And again, that should have been in the topic descri- description Right after or before resolved. So it should be uh, examined, validated, addressed, accepted, resolved, or resolved prior to leaving the treatment setting. Did you come up with a fear yet? Yeah. Go ahead. Lay it on Uh, me. Lay it on me. I'll give you two. All right. The two biggest ones that I hear, the fear of failure and the fear of change. These are the two ones that get thrown out at us you know, more frequently than anything else. And in fact, when you had asked me to think about that, there was no thought. Those two just popped up instantly because you hear that constantly. So the fear of failure, especially when you're dealing with addicts, will always remain on the page, even though I consider it a general uh, fear, Mm -hmm. but it's specific to the individual because obviously... Them sitting in the room, they've experienced a lot of failure yes. to be sitting in front of us. Um, and so we allow that to stay. It's almost like a common theme just amongst us, you know, so it, it gets to stay on the page. So how would we deal with, you? just as an example, how would we process through working with someone who says, okay, I have a fear of failure, they validated it through telling us all of their failures to the point that we've had to say, okay, we got it. (laughs) You proved your point. Yes. Okay. Um, We'll use as an example, we've had many people who have been very successful in their life up to a certain point until addiction took hold or consumed them. Mm -hmm. um, They lost everything, and here they are now in OCG looking to regain their humanity, regain their life. Forget about the material things and the other things that they have lost. Uh, They want to regain their life, regain their humanity, regain their family, regain their friends. Those are the most important things. 
But in, in between all that, I've been a failure. I failed. Well, that's a valid fear. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, how do we go from acknowledging that to moving past it in order to succeed or get on the path to succeeding out of this depth where we are? Right. You know what I'm saying? We're at yeah. the bottom of the barrel now. We're rock bottom. How do we get from there, that failure point, to on the path, the good path? And so the questions I would ask a person is, do you see your failure as inherent mm-hmm. in you or inherent in your addiction? Very important question. Do you see yourself as a failure because you as a human being, Jonathan, you were just destined for failure? Or did your addiction play a significant, if not 100% role in your failure? Right. So, of course, the overwhelming majority of the time, very rare do we get that. No, I think it's just me. I was just born that way, right? <laughs> We get the, well, no, I mean, everything that has gone wrong in my life has gone wrong directly related to my addiction. I said, good, that's what we need to hear. Right. You can now see the connection that it's not really you, it's the lifestyle that you you ended up in, that you engaged in, that got, that consumed you, okay, that caused all of these things that you had the things that are, that relate to your humanity, your relationships, your your with your family, friends, etc., and then the material things that you eventually lost, whether it's house, home, car, job, etc. All of these things were directly related to your addiction. Mm-hmm. Here is the light at the end of the tunnel. Question to that individual. All of that can be turned around if you have committed to a different lifestyle. Yep. All of that can be turned around and that this fear of failing can be put to the side. Now, do you have a question on whether or not you can do this? Yes. Okay. Well, that's when the courage thing comes into play. If you have a question of whether, you know, can, I don't know if I can do this recovery thing. Been using for 15 years. I'm just used to that now. That's been my life. So I hear what you're saying. That hey, if I want to not fail, change my life around, go in a you know go in a positive direction rather than the direction I've been going, and then I won't experience those failures anymore. But I don't know if I can change my life around. Different question. Different question. Mm -hmm. But we've already, at least we have examined and acknowledged what's at the source and the core of this feeling that you have. We have an idea of how we can solve it. Now, whether or not you are up for the challenge is an entirely different question. And I don't know if that's a question that uh, we can answer 
Only the individual can answer that question. Right. What if they have a fear of taking challenges? <laughs> <laughs> taking on a challenge. No, what would, what's funny, and this has happened, so I'm glad you brought that up, is as you dig and you explore and you, and you talk more about it, they find more fears that come up. Right. <laughs> right. So the fear of challenging themselves to, 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 to succeed in this recovery thing. A fear of recovery? What's that about? I'm afraid of that. What's that life like? <laughs> right, exactly. So you you actually have to go into this with a fly swatter and be swatting down the, the like the weed fears that sprout up. Yeah. You know, as you're having this discussion. Same thing in insecurities. As the weed insecurities, you know, sprout up as you have the discussion and they start to think, which is the worst thing. Which is the Worst thing, when you're trying to have this discussion, when you're trying to do this seminar, we want our clients to, if at all possible, turn their brains off. I don't know how to how how to do that, how to get them to do that all the time, but I try and tell them you got to turn the brain off. I only want to talk to your gut, not your brain. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. Because your brain is what will think up all of this stuff as as I'm, as I'm, as we're talking. As we'll they're think, answering it, exactly. Right. We'll think up all of this craziness, and we have to fly swat them down while we're trying to stay with the meat and potatoes. Right. Okay. So we identified, we examined, we validated, we came up with a solution for how the person can move forward. It's then left to them to, as you stated eloquently, meet that challenge, which would ultimately resolve that fear. They would, what's the word? Um, I'm going to have to make a word up here. I go again. They would, <laughs> they would be actionating <laughs> uh, the themselves and thereby getting rid of this fear through action. So as they are going through the 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 actions of 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 you know, moving away from that lifestyle and and the things that they did in that lifestyle that caused failure, okay, they would be doing things and along the way experiencing a little success, accomplishing a goal, and, you know, step by step by step by step, and every step diminishes that fear, every step diminishes the fear until that fear is no more. How is it no more? Because I've proven that if I do this, there's no need for me to have a fear of failing. Right. Because there's a mechanism where I can succeed. Unless I choose otherwise. Now, we have no recipe for choice. Meaning that we can't put someone in a headlock and make them make the right choice. But we can, <clears throat> if I always say we want to accomplish at least one or two things, either we want to see the change while they're in the treatment environment. And if we can't see the change, we want to make sure that you, at the very least, understand what the process is that you need to implement in order to affect the change. I don't want you walking out the door saying, I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. How I, have to... not, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what, how to do that. No, right. sorry. You, at the very least, if you're not going to put things into action, you're going to at least know how to do it. Have the game plan. Exactly. Whether you choose to implement it or not is a personal choice. 
Once again, we can't put people in headlocks and drag them, pound them into recovery. Right. <laughs> and we work the same thing with uh, insecurities. Insecurities, I think, are a little bit more individualistic to the person. It requires a little bit more because it, it, if you're sitting there with a with a group in a seminar form, a lot of the group can have similar fears. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. With that, that are valid, validated fears. <clears throat> and although there are some insecurities that are general that people can have, like I said, the you know physical traits, body image, and things of that nature, mm-hmm. you kind of don't know specific to that individual what their insecurities are until they until they bring it forth. Now, when we're doing the seminar, of course, we don't we don't get to each individual. We don't get to each individual and and, and ask them these questions. We might use one example for each one person, like we might use one client for for fear, one client for insecurity, one client for inadequacy, just for example purposes. And then give them the the dot the paper to take away and come back with next week. Then we'll discuss what they've written down. It's just how we do it in seminar form. But for the sake of our show topic, we're, <laughs> we're pretending. Yes. Um. So the insecurities does require a little bit more, you know, going inside that closet door and digging deep. Because it's not easy for someone to come forth with, hey, I'm insecure about this. And one of the ones, uh, I'm going to name one that is uh, a powerful one, but very hard for someone to bring forth. But when it does come forth, it is a very powerful one, and that's someone who is um, insecure with their ability to read or write. Mm-hmm. Okay? Or yeah, that may, is big. Or they may be semi or fully illiterate. And we don't know. Sometimes they they kind of slide by, you know what you know what I mean. They they can write a little bit enough to you know fill out forms. They can read enough to you know get by, but to really fully function in society, no. And when someone comes forth with something like that, that's powerful. Yeah. And the reason, at least for me personally, why it's powerful is because to not only have the person state it, put it on paper talk about it, et cetera, but when you see them actually taking steps to address it, you know, taking uh, the reading classes or the writing classes or what have you. Yeah, it's awesome. You know what I mean? That's unbelievable. It's courageous. Yes. Because um, it's not easy for someone to come forth with that one. And that's a big one. I use that one because that one that one sticks out in my mind because um, we we get a lot of people who you know, have that. Right. You know, so, um, but it doesn't, uh, it's not one that's stated openly very no. often. That's what I was going to say. Because of the stigma attached to it. Exactly. So, that's one of the reasons why we, when we're doing the exercise, we don't do the, we don't do the exercise publicly in the group. We talk about the exercise and how it should be done and say, okay, now, go back to your rooms or, that you know, do it during your free time or whatever sit in the corner by yourself, whatever, I don't care. But because we want the real stuff right, to come right, out. Right, right, Okay? 
I would never want someone to come into our common ground and have this particular issue and to leave and to have not have it explored, addressed, and resolved. Now, of course, there's responsibility to the person, but it's a responsibility to us, and that is uh, hopefully we have created the environment of trust, hopefully, that someone would come forth with something like that. Feel comfortable enough. Historically, that has been the case. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it helps when you have a very supportive family, okay? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, my God, what are people going to think about me? They're going to think I'm stupid. They're going to think I'm dumb. They're going to think, you know, all these bad things about me, you know, once I say this. and And, of course, these are fears that are unrealized, not validated, in, in terms of in the program, outside they may have heard these things. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? But not yet have they encountered somebody that they're walking the halls with who has hey, pointed you the finger yeah. and laughed. Yeah. Right. You can't, hey, you can't read. You're a dummy. Right, exactly. And so, um, like you said, that's why having the support of the family is major. Mm-hmm. And like you said, sometimes we're in a group where definitely more than one individual has that issue, or and all it takes sometimes is one one person to open up, and, and then, before you know it, and, uh, other people feel comfortable stating the same thing, uh-huh. and that's kind of a powerful process to watch. I'm currently working with a client, not spe- you know, not specifically one on one, but just working with a client in general mm-hmm. who has come forward with this issue, or had come forward, I should say, with this issue months ago, mm-hmm. and has since um, enrolled in a program that's offered at the public library, mm-hmm. and um, has really turned a corner, and will share with people now um, things that this individual is writing, or things that they're learning, um, and to see that happen is just, it's a pretty awesome feeling, mm-hmm. you can't really be, I can't really put it into words, yep. but it, it's really powerful to witness. Yep. Other insecurities, um, again, even the physical ones get touchy. It's hard for people to uh, make public what they think about themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. their body image or what have you. A lot of people have insecurities about their families, where they come from, Mm -hmm. whether it be, you know, socioeconomic Mm -hmm. or... um, Race, you know, racial or, mm-hmm. or ethnicity wise, mm-hmm. um, people can be embarrassed about that mm-hmm. and, and have feelings about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually cover both insecurities and inadequacies. Yes, that will bleed over. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you a story how at Daytop in Swan Lake, one of the things, because to your point, the socioeconomic status of the clients ranged so widely. Sure. We had very wealthy clients and, and extremely poor clients in terms of their families, right? Right. And Sunday was a visit day and families would come up. And one of the things they realized very early on was, so families that you know had means would bring up tons of food and so on and so forth. And, I mean, you know, all of this stuff, nice food, you yeah. know, and so on. And they would invite, you know, members of the caseload over to, to share and so on and so forth. Then you had somebody whose family didn't have those means. Right. Okay. And so Eddie Hill, again, in his wisdom, the way he 
dealt with that. He said, from now on, the kitchen will prepare the food for all the visits. So this way there's no inequity in terms of visual inequity. So, so the person who has less won't look over across and see the family that came with, you know, 17, you know, bags and, 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 and platters of food. And here they have burgers and fries from the kitchen. Put in a request for a caseload change. No, everybody's <laughs> getting burgers and fries right. or whatever from the kitchen. Right. No more food coming up. And even, you know, when we came out in California, one of the things, what we said, one of the rules we put in place is that if you're going to bring food, you have to bring it to everybody. Right. The whole, and we could do that. Which is easier in California. We don't, yeah, we don't have 250 people. We couldn't say that back in New York. But, right. Um, we might have been working with 20 people. Exactly. Right. So, um and some families did that, yeah, which was cool. That was an option. If you can bring for the whole family, then you can bring food. If not, we're not going to have. We're not going to. We're not going to artificially create or inflame people's insecurities about their family status and, and what right. they can afford and not afford. That's what we wanted to avoid doing. So that's a a good point that you made. Um, why don't we take a quick break? We'll get into some inadequacies and just continue on our topic. Sounds good. The Latino Commission Drug and Alcohol Treatment Services in South San Francisco was organized and incorporated in early 1991 and going on 22 years of providing services to our community. The Latino Commission, also known as TLC, would like to offer our services to those struggling with a substance use disorder. We have residential facilities for men, women, mothers and children, outpatient programs, transitional and SLE homes to assist and promote a successful recovery for individuals. We at the Latino Commission provide educational services on self-esteem, assertiveness, life management, coping skills, anger management, limits and boundaries, and other various subjects. The Latino Commission, restoring people holistically in an environment of love and understanding that represents our culture, improving quality of life. The Children's Health Council in Palo Alto has been serving children, youth, and teens in San Mateo and Santa Clara counties, as well as the greater San Francisco Bay Area, for over 60 years. The goal of the agency is to remove barriers to learning, regardless of language, location, learning style, or ability to pay. At CHC, we specialize in ADHD, learning differences, anxiety and depression, and autism through our center, two schools, and community clinic. No matter how big or small the issue is, just call us and we'll help you navigate your child's journey together. Visit our website at www.chconline.org or call us at area code 650-688-3625. Again, that's area code 650-688-3625. At CHC, we're here for you. And CHC, estamos aquí para usted. Okay, welcome back to Road Time Recovery. We're talking about conquering our fears, insecurities, and inadequacies. <clears throat> During our break, I thought of uh, a general fear in terms of our community, but it's still a sp- fear that is always specific and unique to our clients, and that's fear of relapse. Mm-hmm. And 
the same way that we would deal with fear of uh, failure. failure, we we have to walk them through that same kind of process. Um, the fear of relapse is real, obviously, uh, especially if you have relapsed. Okay, yes. you've kind of validated. You have a frame of reference to pull from to, uh, um, you know, make that fear real. Uh, but still, for each person, it requires examination in order to make sure that there is a frame of reference and that it can be validated. So let's say, for example, I know we're going back to fears, but it just came to my mind. Let's say, for example, a person expressed, you know, I have a fear of relapse. However, they don't have a frame of reference, meaning this is their first shot at recovery. Yeah, okay. They haven't experienced relapsing. Okay, they don't know what it's like. Okay, but they just have this fear of relapsing. So in that scenario where there's no frame of reference, they can't validate it in any way, shape, or form, what I've done, me personally, when a client has expressed that and they fit into that category, is I dig a little bit deeper to find out if that's more a fear of relapsing or a negative reservation. Okay. <laughs> okay, I can see that. You know what I mean? Uh, because And the reason I do that is because I don't want – I want a fear of relapse to be based on a validated fear. Right, of course. Okay? That I've been there, done that, and, I, and, and I've relapsed once, twice, three times, whatever it is. And that validates the fear because here I am again. I'm trying to get this recovery thing right. I'm on my fourth attempt, okay, and I'm I'm afraid that I'm gonna, you know, go. I'm not gonna succeed again. Mm -hmm. That's real. And so, yeah, we know what the process is, how to walk them through challenging that. But if you if you ha if you don't have that in your background and you don't have that frame of reference, I have to find out if there's something else underlying that. That's where. Not, and I'm not accusing someone of purposely doing that, but that they're 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 using fear to actually cover what may be a negative reservation, a desire to maybe dabble, dabble, <laughs> etc., uh, and it's being covered with fear. We're going to validate those fears <laughs> to make sure they're real. You're not going to be able to get over. You can't get over on yourself, by the way. Did we say that? Did we make that clear? No, but... <laughs> you yeah, cannot we, get we can. over on yourself. You can sure. fool me, you can fool the person next to you, but you can't fool yourself. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big one to remind yourself of. If you happen to be a counselor working with somebody outpatient-wise, just somebody you're doing individual work with, or you're... Uh, counselor in a residential setting uh, and working with clients is um, you could drive yourself crazy um, trying to control such situations um, as opposed to just understanding, hey, you know what, if you're being dishonest with me, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to put forth the effort putting on my detective hat and trying mm -hmm. to figure it out. I'm just offering you something, and if you take it, great, and if you don't, that's your decision. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's important for us to to remember that mm-hmm. because you're not you know like you said that them getting over on you does not affect you going home at the end of the night or showing mm-hmm. up for your shift the next day. It will inevitably affect them, mm-hmm. but you you just have to remember you operate from a certain position and, and that's that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about inadequacies. So this is the one that sometimes gets you know bled over with insecurities. But let's give some examples. So a person might say, I, I feel inadequate in, in terms of, you know, doing the things that a father should do, uh, doing the things that a husband should do. Um, I feel inadequate with my uh, my, my vocational uh, skills. Um, I feel inadequate about, uh, you know, Reading. See how it bleeds? Yeah. You can bleed over. Right. Okay. And by the way, this one sometimes requires mature mature conversation. Mature adults. Uh people sometimes talk about, you know, they write down, you know, inadequacies in other areas, uh, which we don't have to mention on here. Um, having to do with relationships and their and their participation in those relationships. Um, all very important. The good thing that, that I like personally about working with uh, people who are expressing their inadequacies is that 95% of them are fixable things. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, if some, you know, someone who is not sure about their fatherhood capabilities, competencies, there's, you know, you can learn. Yeah. You can be taught these things. It, so it really, it's, it's whether or not the person the whole key to the inadequacy column not to diminish the other two which this is important to both of those columns also but it's even to me more important to the inadequacy column is the person's willingness to bring it forth because if you don't bring it forth then there's not you can't yeah address it right it can't be examined um we can't validate it just stays within you uh, for you to, you know, it, it just, you know, floats around within you and and obviously is generating negative energy and not meaning it's not helping you, it's it's hurting you. Yeah. Um, and so, again, we have to create the environment where the person feels comfortable and trust to bring it forth. And, and usually these are all, all of the, not all, but, you know, most of the inadequacies are things that can be, Fixed. They can be taught. They can be learned. They can be, um, you know, worked with easily. I haven't encountered something that was unsolvable. Unsolvable, like it was like inherent in you, you know. So if someone says, "Yeah, I feel inadequate to the fact I have big feet," like get get that off the damn page. Yeah, I don't even want to see that. Now you could say, you know, I really feel insecure when I'm walking around and I wear size yeah, twenty two. Yeah, yeah, sure, exactly. You it's know, more I mean, of an insecurity uh, than anything okay. else. Um now if you had a deformity or something and it stopped you from uh playing soccer. Because mm-hmm. you couldn't use your foot well maybe, you know, if you had the deformed foot you might be able to kick that ball the full length of the length of the field. <laughs> like right. uh what's that kick that NFL player? Was it George Blander who oh, had, yeah, uh, okay. the club foot or the club whatever? foot. That should have been illegal. 
Yeah, I guess. Cause but didn't, the, didn't he kick the 63-yard field goal? Originally? Yeah. That should have been illegal. He had an unfair advantage with a club foot. I don't know. That might have that might have found its way to the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in today's world, it, 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 it most it, certainly it, would have. Yeah. Some attorney would have wanted that. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, the inadequacies column. I think that that column actually, I have to do more work in getting people to put things down. Hardest that, one for maybe yeah, them to come forward yeah, with or identify. Yeah. Because um, sometimes, like I said, they confuse it with insecurities. Right. Um, and so one of the ways that we try and get them to understand it is think is, is think of the word competencies, things you do well or don't do well. So if, if right. it's something I don't do well, it's integral to my existence, you know, and uh, whatever that existence comprises, fatherhood, brotherhood, you know, friendhood, et cetera, um, working you know, whatever, then it should go down. Then we'll examine it, and then we'll have to validate it. Just because we put it on paper doesn't mean it stays. We then validate it to see if it's, make sure it's real, you know, right. a real thing that you feel inadequate about. And then if it is, then we work with it. The more psychological ones, fears and insecurities, mm-hmm. okay? And, of course, we know insecurities can be physical, but we're just for the sake of argument are the ones that require really more in-depth processes. Yeah, kind of, yeah, one-on-one work. work and, okay. Why is it important for those three things to be identified, examined, validated, addressed? Let's insert where applicable, accepted, mm-hmm. and resolved prior Worst case scenario, prior to leaving the treatment setting. Why, in my opinion, is that so important? Well, if you think back, okay, most addicts, when we really dig down deep, okay, at the root, we get into the reasons why someone used, abused, engaged in, this lifestyle mm-hmm. can be traced all the way back to these things. And these things all sum up that one phrase, how one feels about themselves. Okay? Yeah. So an excess amount of fears and responding to them negatively rather than fighting through them impacts how one feels about themselves. An excess amount of insecurities and in how one responds to them rather than addressing them, dealing with them if you can, address uh, changing whatever the thing is that's causing the insecurity, or having to accept whatever it may be because it's not something that's changable. If you got big ears like I do, then you got big ears. You Done. just got, got to learn to love them. Okay? <laughs> that's right. Or, you know, take your father to court and sue him. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> right? So you have to... Address these things, these unique things, fears, insecurities, inadequacies, because they're at the core and at the root when you really dig down deep as to why you did what you did, why you felt the way you felt, and why you wanted to medicate those feelings. Yeah. No, exactly. It all comes full circle back to 
how one feels about themselves. Well, what is generating how I feel about myself if it's not good? Why do I feel bad about myself? And when we dig down deep into that, we, 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 we unearth all these insecurities, unearth these feelings of inadequacy, we unearth, unearth these fears. And that's not to say, because there are many times there is, there are traumatic events that are underneath some of these many things. Many of them. Yeah. So, but we got to dig them out. It's hard work being a counselor, and I'm not just saying that just to say. I'm just saying it to say. <laughs> yeah, who's on first? Uh, no, exactly. No, that, that's very true, uh, and it's good you add the word accepted mm-hmm. into that because ultimately, like you said, the work will either begin here before leaving yeah. or they'll have the game plan to do the work upon leaving but the work only exists in the things that are changeable. Like you said, the inadequacies tend to be the column of things that can be changed. I feel inadequate um, educationally because, you know, I either uh, extreme, I'm, I'm illiterate or, you know, I, I didn't graduate from high school or whatever the case may be. Okay, we can work to change that and you can go out and get your high school diploma or whatever the case may be. Uh, and then there are some things that, there is no amount of work that will change them, but we learn to accept them mm-hmm. and, and live with them and mm-hmm. coexist with them. Big ears, for example. You'll, why, you'll why, learn to why accept you have that. to throw that back at me? <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> that would fall into that category, but it's important to acknowledge both, mm-hmm. that there are definitely things that if it matters enough to you, you can do some work to make a change happen mm-hmm. in that area so you don't have to um, worry about that anymore. And then learn to live with and accept things that can't be changed um, because, like you said, a lot of them, uh, especially some of the ones that can be changed, also derive from traumatic experiences, uh, things that were beyond your control mm-hmm. that you could probably now exact some sort of control on. Mm-hmm. I want to give you a perfect example before we wrap this up. Yeah. Just to your last point. And this does not qualify as a tremendous traumatic experience in comparison to some of the trauma that our clients deal with in terms of their addiction. Right. Okay, because this did not drive me into addiction, but I just want to use it as an example. Sure. But I still think it's funny <clears throat> for me. When I was eight years old in Jamaica, that island you like to make fun of, <laughs> Yes. my uncle, we were in the river, okay, had me, he likes to put us, when we were young, put us on his shoulders, yep. like walking around. So he's walking around the water. The water might be shoulder high or whatever to him, and we're on top of his shoulders. And so the game, he would flip us over into the water. You know, that's the game he would do. Sure. So he flips me over into the water, okay? And I distinctly remember, I can see it like it was yesterday. Remember being under the water, okay, my eyes wide open, okay, <laughs> And seeing the daylight of the, you know, of the, what do you call it, the surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? And scrambling to get back to the surface. <laughs> I have no idea how deep the water is, okay? All I know is this was a traumatic event for me. Yes. I immediately scuttled to the shore, never to enter again. <laughs> okay? Of course. Forever to be saddled with a fear of deep water. And to this day, I don't even know how deep the water is. Yeah, maybe okay. five feet. And could, who knows? It could have been, right? Right. But all, at eight years old, what do you know? So as I move along in life, I always stayed away from pools, had no problem with the uh, the ocean. 
but stayed away from pools, okay? Didn't have a problem with, uh, you know, big boats. Didn't want any canoeing and, and rowboating or any of that right, nonsense, right, right. okay? Um, so it had some, you know, impact. But I used to, t- when I would do this seminar, I would tell the story to the family. I said, and someone would say, well, so if you ever challenge that fear, I would say, no, I have no need to. I have no desire to. It's not impacting my life. So it's not stopping me from going in the Navy if I want to go in the Navy. I would have to challenge that. I want to become a lifeguard. I would have to challenge that. Or, you know, or become a ship captain. I'd have to challenge that. It's not affecting, you know, my life. I right. said, but it's interesting how these things can come from just simple events. Yeah, experiences. You know, that you have. And then even as an adult, you know, it has an effect on you. Right. And our clients have way more serious things than my little flip into the water, okay? <laughs> right. And we have to dig into it. We have to get to the core, get to the source of what it is. And it's work. Work on their part and work on our part. Because last week, I was, when I was, we were talking about forgiveness, we got to sometimes we have to take out the shovel and we got to dig part of our what we have to do. And hopefully when we start digging, they start you know, stuff starts getting unearthed and it starts, you know, the soil gets a little bit easier. Popping up, It's yeah. hard on top, but when you get into the rich soil underneath, it starts coming out on their own and it makes our job a little bit easier. Now, to wrap up, <clears throat> conquering our fears, insecurities, and inadequacies. We've said why it's very important that a person needs to ad- to identify, examine, validate, Address, accept, and or resolve prior to leaving the treatment setting. But just in case that doesn't happen, we make sure that at the very least, they know how to do the process themselves. Plan of action. Okay. But we can't escape the fact that it has to happen. So whether you do it here or you do it afterwards, you you won't get away with it not being done because of how important it is for you staying clean and sober. Right. So if I leave out of treatment with, with all my insecurities and fears in, intact, what are my chances? The way they affected me outside, they're going to affect me again. Exactly. So these things got to be addressed. You think we beat that one up enough? Yeah, I'm ready to go uh, skydive, jump out of a plane, and yank a parachute line. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. So why don't we take a break, unless you have any closing comments, sir? No, I think... Um, I know you've been... You're out of... out of. Uh, no, it's like riding a bicycle, okay, man. You, right you, back in tune. <laughs> you never forget, but... Uh, <laughs> No, I think you I think it was all addressed really really well. I think that was a great topic and we do see that we have a couple people on hold and up next is our recovery sport time so we can take a quick little commercial break and get to the phone calls on the other side. All right. We will talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for your patience and for holding. Find 
on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment and recovery. 
Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you. This is our recovery support time, so let's go right to the phones and let's pick up Wangui from Redwood City. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. So my um, I, my first addiction has been food, and so my question is, um, how do I um, work on that in an environment where I'm limited to the foods that I can choose? that are healthy. Um yeah, in the residential programs food is uh <laughs> rich. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy for someone who wants to uh monitor their Calories, should we say? Is that yeah, good caloric intake? Take? One thing, one available tool to you while the foods may be rich, <laughs> needless to say, um, is exercising portion control. Um, right. Because sometimes, um, you know, in life, you'll be at a social event. You'll be mm-hmm. at a family's house for Thanksgiving or for Christmas or someone's birthday or. Um, some some work event and you won't have too much control mm-hmm. over what is being provided like you would if you were at home and you did your own grocery shopping, but you mm-hmm. can't avoid such events um, because socially in our culture eating is a is a big part of almost you know every social interaction where people are getting together. 
Um, and so in those moments, if it's at a restaurant, you know, maybe you have power over choosing something healthier. If it's catered, then you just kind of have to exercise portion control. And if you're eating well for the most part, then those moments aren't really going to do so much damage. But I would say that would be maybe the one thing you could work on or focus on while in treatment is just, um, you know, perhaps controlling the quantity um, that you're going to end up consuming because almost inevitably the quality will be maybe less than desirable for a healthy individual. Okay. You still there? I got a, I got a comment. Okay. Or another option is to use uh, use the method that I grew up under. Ready to hear it? Yes. It's called the Humphrey Bogart method. Where your mother, where your where your mother would say you'll eat it and you'll like it, <laughs> <laughs> regardless of what it is. No, but I agree with what uh, Mr. Coho said, hundred percent. If you're in a rest, you know, in, if you're restricted, you can only manage the amount versus you know what, since you don't have any control over what. So that's the best thing to do. And that's uh, you. You also raised an important thing about you know. You said your first addiction was food. Mm-hmm. Um, so just out of curiosity, if, if you don't mind say, uh, saying, um, how are you managing that along with as you address the other addiction? Um. Well, I notice. I I use food to stuff my feelings. Okay. Or I have done that. Um recently I've been continually making efforts to to manage my food intake because it it affects my self esteem okay. and my body movement and therefore it because of those feelings I end up wanting to use a substance to you know not make not me, feel that right yeah okay so you know for me right now i really need to work on um you know my food intake because of the domino effect it has when i cuz i feel like if i you know eat too much. I've been binged eat in the past and stuff and it just I feel like I'm picking up, you know. Great great analogy. So So you're you're miles and miles and miles ahead of the game because you understand you understand it. And so it's just a matter of exercising the discipline mm-hmm. to put it into action. But you do definitely understand it. So you're mi- you're miles ahead. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. She brought up an interesting point, which we often probably haven't talked about, is those substitute addictions that people may have. Yeah, the gambling, the sex. Um, I think we've touched on some of them yeah. briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, might be might be one for a full 
show topic. Maybe. The substitution. <laughs> okay, let's go to Sally from Los Banos off of 152. Hi, thank you so much for taking Hi. my call. Um, so You're I, this is actually uh thank you. Uh, this is actually off of um the your discussion you had earlier today I was listening um while I was on hold in in regards to underlying um issues that you uh, fears and uh et cetera. Um, is it possible that my substance abuse is how I've been analyzing it, I've been in treatment for a while now, is that my substance abuse is just a, a masking significant mental health disorders that I have or and, and also using it as a unhealthy coping skill where I'm finding that my anxieties and um, diagnoses and things like that um, are actually a major part, um, sorry, I'm a little distracted, um, are actually more significant than my substance abuse, an unhealthy way of coping with that kind of thing. Does that make sense? I'm sorry. Well, ultimately, we we don't know that in the beginning right once once you know we've that we've had time for the cobwebs to clear and we've been off the drugs mm-hmm. for a little bit we can determine whether or not my substance abuse was something that i used to deal with other issues i may have had or whether or not my substance abuse caused other issues correct you know what I mean? Yes. So only time really tells that story. Mm-hmm. But so, so I found example, the last fifteen. Go ahead. No, I want you to go. Go ahead. Okay. For the last, you know, fifteen some years of, uh, before I started any sort of substance use, um, I was diagnosed with you know numerous different anxiety diag- uh, disorders and phobias and panic disorders, OCD, et cetera, et cetera. And then, um, you know, the large, long period of time in where um, substances then came into my life and um, right. are now out of my life, to, you know, on a day-to-day basis. But um, And so it's it's seeming like I'm able to deal with that part, um, and it's more just now the uh, re- the disorders that are now just there that I'm dealing with on a day-to-day basis and things that I've defaulted to in the past where I stopped leaving the house for a couple of years, I stopped driving for a couple of years, I stopped doing all these um, coping skills that I knew or mm-hmm. I defaulted to, which were extremely unhealthy. Um, right. And so I'm learning new coping skills and how to deal with all these disorders. But my concern is that there might be a different avenue that I need to be taking as opposed to focusing on the substance abuse um and focusing, I'm not sure, the alternative route. Well, to me, the yeah. processes are still the same. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if a person suffers from anxiety, yes. okay, it it just doesn't stop there. We have to get underneath that to say, okay, well, what's at the root of that? Correct. Okay. And, and yes, uh, Someone can take medication to help offset that, but even even the best psychiatrist will say this will help with the anxiety, but simultaneous to that, let's find out what's at the root of the anxiety. Correct. So definitely. And it's the same process we use when we're talking about our fears, insecurities, and inadequacies. Mm-hmm. Um, the same exact processes apply. So 
if you have, so you, you've had these diagnoses prior to, the substance abuse came later. Correct. You're now, you've arrested, pardon the pun, the substance abuse, okay, and now we're left with just dealing with the previous diagnoses. What's it, what would be interesting, since you said, you know, you've had some, a decent amount of time, clean time, is have you noticed a difference in the other diagnoses? Are they the same, or where do you think those things stand? Um, they've kind of shifted, shifted a little bit. Um, you know, there's a list of about six or seven main anxiety diagno- uh, disorders that I've been, you know, through my research and things like that, and I pretty much have almost every single one of them, um, and that, and which is kind of unusual. Um, and so the, the, they've altered a little bit. They become some of them become more apparent as I've gotten um, clean time, mm-hmm. um, and then more. Can, yes, and, and more connections have been made as I look back at the time, you know, over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, you know, realizing where some of them, you know, I'm kind of teasing them out slowly. I mean, I know okay. that they're there, but I feel like I'm teasing them out slowly and, and um, identifying them, like you talked about earlier, and, you know, changing or coexisting or accepting or, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, but it's to the point where it always has been and still is it's overwhelming and it's a paralyzing, like, to every moment of my day, um, negatively. And I, d- I did hear your example that you um, said about the water and things like that, and, and you know, you n- you're not necessarily proactively addressing it because it doesn't really hinder your day-to-day life. And the ones that I am dealing with um, negatively, or I'm, I'm a, yeah, negatively affecting my life on a day-to-day basis. Right. So, and those are the ones that we want to get to. Right. So okay. keep te- keep teasing them out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice steady pace. We don't have we don't have to do all, everything all at once. So just keep teasing mm-hmm. them out the way you're going about doing it. Okay. Okay. Yes, that sounds great. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. Let's go to. Terrell from East Palo Alto. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you doing, sir? Good. All right. Uh, my guess, my question is, uh, um, what do you do when, um, okay, I'm into the program and uh, from a homeless situation. Um, can you using... can you speak up, Terrell? Yeah. Um, there you what go. Do you Much do better. When Enter the program uh, from a homeless situation um, using, and you 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 were I mean I was uh, I was uh, I guess my uh, I was very eager to find a place uh, to recover from drugs and alcohol as well as a roof over my head. But uh, when you're not sure as if you can do the full link to the program, um, and I'm just trying to find out some things that. To motivate me to stay longer. Well, let's start off with no one outside of you is going to be able to put you in a headlock and make you stay in a program. The motivation is either going to come from you within you or from another external source that may have 
Phil- I'm going to use this word. It's not the right word, but I can't think of the right word right now. Dominion over you. Let's like, it's like criminal justice. If you got a PO, parole agent, or whatever, and they say, I want you to be in a program. So those are the only two circumstances. Either you, the person, have to want it, or usually there's a little hammer hanging over your head saying, this is what you need and this is where I want you. And hopefully, while you're there, the motivation changes to you wanting to do this for yourself. True. Yeah, I, uh, well, I found some things that, you know, that, that has been helpful. I just, uh, speak, speak up. You know, Can't hear you. I found something, I found some things that's been helpful. I mean, being, coming from a homeless situation, um, and, and being addicted, there was things that I could not accomplish, uh, that I accomplished here is, um, you know, I regained my ID, which might be a small thing to some people, but it was very big. Um, right. you know, and, you know, making appointments, you know, that they made for me here and, you know, just getting some of my benefits together. And, you know, um, so I, I knew I couldn't do those things if I was on the streets, if I was using and in a homeless situation. And that, you know, that has motivated me to, to stay longer. And, you know, I just kind of like, you know, I kind of future trip let me, a little let me, bit. Let me interrupt you and ask you a question. Yes, sir. How long? How long have you been using? Oh man, over twenty years. Okay. How long have you been homeless? Oh man, about uh, at least uh, three to five years. Okay. Do you not think that you are worth, if it took one year in a program, that you are not worth for the twenty years that you've been using, for the three to five years you've been homeless, that you are worth at least twelve months? in an environment where you can get yourself together so that you do not have to use anymore, experience being homeless anymore, moving forward, that you're worth that? Yeah, I yeah, I just, you know, I guess, uh, you know, some of my anxiety issues come up. Um, I, okay. You know, also, I deal with, deal with mental health issues, and so a lot of my anxiety came up and, and a few other things outside of uh and I do have some legal stuff that's coming up as well and, and um so a lot of that stems, you know well, let me let me let me speak to both of those to help just so you have a frame of reference as you move move forward. Excuse me. <clears throat> In regards to the anxieties and other issues, the most important thing that you have to keep at the forefront is impulse. No impulse decisions. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what's going on in a particular day, in a particular moment, and how you may feel at that moment in time, I'm not going to make any impulse decisions. All right. That's a commitment you've got to make to yourself. Because All people right. find themselves outside the front door, boom, just like that because of impulse decisions. All right. Okay? Yes. Um, yeah, one of the things that that um, has helped me um, in this program, I mean, um, it we have we have a philosophy that uh, that you know I, I'm I'm very spiritual. I wouldn't say religious, but I'm, I'm very spiritual. And, and through reading the Bible, I learned to uh, internalize things that I read. And in the in the philosophy, it states that uh, um, 
until I confront uh, myself in the front in the eyes and the hearts of others, I am running. And and that part, you know, has allowed me to not run out of the door, um, allow myself to express what I'm feeling, and allow myself to receive uh, the uh, the feedback that I get. And that's and that's part of the impulse thing that you're talking about. I'm, and I think that I got a little bit of that where I don't react on my impulse. Um, and that's the part that uh, that's helping me. Um, Terrell. Yes, sir. Terrell. Yes, sir. I'm going to I'm going to leave you with this. In my 26 years, that is the first time I've heard someone. And use that analogy in that way, and it was perfect. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. Well, Keep us posted. Day. All right. You thank too. you. Have a blessed day. All right. All right. I have never heard a person with such little time under their belt use that line of the philosophy and make that analogy that quick. Mm-hmm. You know how long it takes people to make that connection as to what that line means? Yeah. Most people, because it's said every single day, multiple times a day, just regurgitate it and don't mm-hmm. do too much thinking on it mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, pretty phenomenal to have somebody, like you said, with any time at all, but such little time, already have broken it down and, and made that connection. And actually use it. That's something to help keep yeah, him make it applicable. stay because otherwise he says, I'm running. And actually understand that that's exactly what that line means. Right. <laughs> Until I confront myself in the eyes and hearts of others, I'm running. Forever. <laughs> so Exactly. That's beautiful stuff. Um, X-Files. Now that we got our... been waiting for a long time to be able to hit that again. Okay, well, you you missed some good ones over the last couple of weeks uh, that I had the opportunity. I, I didn't get the chance to do the clip, obviously, because it requires hands-on, and I can't, I don't have three hands. But, so <laughs> Right. Um, how many times does one have to face relapse before changing is a question that's on the table. Uh, that's the million-dollar question. That is the million-dollar question. <laughs> right there. So that varies. There is no uh, z- zero. You can <laughs> you can do it without ever relapsing, mm-hmm. um, but it, it varies by per individual. I think this question is born of struggle mm-hmm. and uh, wondering how many times is it going to take before I get it right. or do it. And, you know, I know people who it took four times. Mm -hmm. And I always say, what if they would have given up after the third time? They never would have got it. They would have never got it. So I always say, you're not a failure until you stop trying to get it. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree with that. So how many times? As many times as it takes. As long as you're alive, as many times as it takes. Mm -hmm. What should I do when I feel like I want to relapse? 
all that's uh, the million dollar question number two. <laughs> so far, we're up to two million. Yeah, no, that's also based on the individual. But hopefully, you get that in treatment because there are groups to yeah. address coping strategies and coping mm-hmm. skills when triggers arise and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm gonna throw at you another million dollar question and bring our total up to three million so far for the evening. Okay. How do I fight temptation? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh I think the it's kind of like the last question. Mm-hmm. You just need to be prepared to um accept the fact that temptation will arise. Mm-hmm. You will get tempted. So we that that doesn't have to be we don't have to play the guessing game with that. At some point in your recovery you will be tempted to use. Uh and that's where that ties in with whatever trigger that may be and then you dig into the bag of tools you've acquired throughout your stay in treatment and that your counselor may have helped you identify um, to cope appropriately. But temptation will will happen. That's inevitable. That mm-hmm. much is inevitable. You just need to be able to use those tools when those triggers put them in the action. Exist, put them yeah. in the action. Um, what is more important, finishing treatment or getting a job? Uh, That's only a $25,000 question. Yeah, no, maybe a 25-cent question. (laughs) uh, You're not going to hold on to any job too long if you don't have your stuff together. Exactly. But how many people have we come into contact with? Such a good job opportunity waiting for me. The only people I give an exception to are those who, who left, like their jobs allowed them to leave to get help. For a period of time. Holding the job for them, okay? And if we know that, obviously, in advance, we had designed the treatment, you know, around that. Um, But if that's not the case um, and, you know, you hear about a good job opportunity whatever, you ask yourself this very simple question. What is more important? Your sobriety and you obtaining all of the information and tools for your tool belt that you need or getting a job. We're not diminishing the importance of a job. Every, everyone is going to come out of treatment needing a job to support themselves. But there's an appropriate time and an appropriate place for that to happen. And too many people think, oh, i got to get this now, and then they forget about the tool belt, filling the tool belt, and next thing you know, they're back, back in the shop for repair. That's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, how are we on time? We're looking good. All right. Oh, yeah, we're looking good. Eric, how can I have fun in recovery? That's a funny one to me. That uh, <laughs> in our addiction and then coming out of it, we're so narrow-minded that we somehow have led ourselves to believe that the only way fun exists is if we're intoxicated on some level. Find what you're interested in. Sports, eating out, hanging out with friends, uh, you know, drawing, school, whatever. So you find find your hobbies, Mm -hmm. things that you enjoy doing, and then make it happen. Again, I have to add, if... It's harder for people who may have started using at a very young age and didn't experience time to 
experience things in life, right? You know, without being intoxicated, and therefore would have a frame of reference to draw back on. Hey, I remember going to the museum. I remember going to the ball game. I remember doing this and doing that, drug free. So I know that I can enjoy those things. These people who started using at a very young age have to actually start from scratch and learn how to, well, first find out what what are some things you would like to do that you haven't done or what are some things you have done, you know, but under the influence that you would now like to experience and see that you can actually enjoy them without being intoxicated. So, And hopefully you figure some of those things out in treatment. True. Via chatting with others or playing a a group game or group activity or going on a group outing and things that you will experience free from drugs and see what you like. Enjoy yourself. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's go back to the phones. And we got Mary from San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Hi. Um, Hi. So I have a question. I'm in treatment, and I just have a question. What, What do you do if your roommates are consistently not doing the right thing? And you're just put in a situation where you have to hear about it, know about it, and nothing is changing. What would you do if what would you do if it was you know, your your one of your peers outside, your close close knit circle of friends and the same thing was happening? What would you do? Well, I wouldn't have um a, somebody above to tell unless it was the police and I don't know if I would do that. But no, I have but let's, it. no. Okay. Wait a second. Let's let's take it outside of the treatment environment. This is very good practice. Okay, you have your own little sh- small circle of friends, and one or two of them are engaging in something that's either inappropriate, dangerous, or not in their best interest. Yes. How would you handle that? Um, I think I would just try to have a talk with them and tell them that it's not right what they're doing and that. Um, Bad things can follow. I mean, but and I don't what know if they were, yeah. what if they were resistant or they were not open to it? What would you do? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. I don't know. Okay. All right. Just for uh, universal educate educational purposes, I absolutely hate the word the expression. I don't know. Oh. Because you either think. Or you feel. So if you find yourself in that situation, the reason why I say it's great practice and the reason why I use the description of someone, your close friends that you care Uh about, because that usually spurs somebody to action. And what you should do is never give up, because if it's someone you care about, Uh you will continue and you'll continue and you'll continue until you can continue no more via, i.e., that they're no longer within your sphere of, of influence, meaning that they don't, you know, they've moved away from you where you can no longer talk to them, they've changed their number, or whatever the case may be. But while you have access, you will continue to say what you need to say to correct the situation. And you'll be consistent. And so that that okay. person or those persons, if there's one thing they know, is that. This is what Mary's about. This is what she keeps saying. And this is what I can expect from her. Even though I may not be listening, even though I may not be responding to what she's saying, 
at least I know where she's coming from because every single time we get together, she tells me the same thing. Every time. Okay. That's a good answer. Mary? Okay. Yes. Mary, do you have children? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. It's no different. Hmm. You got to repeat yourself 10,000 times with them, and it's the same <laughs> thing with someone that you care about. So you, yeah. in the treatment environment, you're just practicing that. Okay. You're right. Oh, I'm going to work on that. Okay. Okay, thank you. It's just practice. You're very welcome. <laughs> bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. It can be frustrating. It can be draining. It can try your last nerve, but... You have to fight through it. You're talking about the treatment setting or your experience as a parent? <laughs> Both. Both. But you got to fight through it. Right. And you have to put it in their mind, in their heart, that you are not giving up. You're not going anywhere. Your message is going to be consistent. Your message is going to be, uh, you know, every single day the same message. And even if they are outside to use children as an example, when they kind of get older and they kind of grow out of your sphere of influence and the, you know, the, their friends... The social network the takes social over. The social network has take, taken over. But at the very least, they know if you find out that they're not doing something they should be doing or whatever the case may be, that they know where where you're going to come down on, what what you're going to say about it. Right. Because you've been consistent. And because they're worth it. If it's not, if it's someone you don't care about and you don't give a rat's about, you don't waste your time, your energy. You don't get it. You, you know, but someone where you have an emotional investment, fr- very close friends, family, etc. You know, etc. You put the effort forth. Right. And we practice that in treatment. Absolutely. People are ready to give up after I told him two times to clean his room. He doesn't clean his room, so I'm not saying it anymore. So your child comes home, breaks curfew two times, and after the second time, you say, "Ah, you know what? Come home whenever you want. I'm tired. I can't, I can't deal with this." Absolutely not. You're gonna be sitting right there at <laughs> 9:15, waiting for you to come in every single night. And every single night you come in at 9:17, I'm gonna say something. Yep. So. By that 17th night in a row, when the key is coming in the door, they know you're going to be sitting there. And what I'm putting in their belly is that I may not be listening to my father or my mother, but at least I know exactly what they're going to say when I open this door. <laughs> right. They've made it clear that they're not giving up, they're not moving off that position, and I'm not getting away with it. And that's what's important. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. So, Mary, you may not be able to force your roommate to do some things that you might be asking them to do, but you can certainly let them know that you're not going to accept it. Mm -hmm. And you show that by every day speaking to it. And by the way, the first day that you don't speak to it, that first time that you say, oh, I don't have it anymore, I'm spent dealing with this, they got you. That's the day they won. They got you. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. All right. How are we on time, sir? We probably have time for uh, this phone call here. If we want to 
gamble a little bit and go no screening. <laughs> our, our engineer likes to likes to push the envelope. Push the, the envelope, boy, at the end. All right, let's uh, let's use our use our uh, usual rules. Usual rules apply. Uh, hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name, please, and your hometown? Hi, my name is Paige, and I'm from Redding, California. Hi, welcome. Hi. All right, so my question is, um, so I have a lot of PTSD and trauma from my history. I've uh, been in gang affiliation, and I've been raped, and um, I live in a very... um, uh, semi-dangerous neighborhood and when I walk down the streets there's a lot of people that are on drugs and a lot of the men like to whistle at me or hit hit on me and try to get my number and I've been followed a couple of times um, harassed if you, if you if you may and um, it makes me really nervous and it, it, it triggers me um, and uh I don't know how to deal with it, per se, um, except for maybe ask for support when I go places. But it's just like it it makes me think of using drugs um, because when I'm when I'm in my addiction, that stuff doesn't bother me. I don't I don't have any fear. Um, but now that I'm sober, like I can feel my heart racing and you know I get sweaty and I feel like running. Um, I feel like I need somebody to protect me and um, if I feel kind of weak and vulnerable. And um, I'm pretty sure it's a normal um, thing to feel that way when you're when you're a woman. But um, I still don't know what to do about it since I'm here in treatment. Wow. Yeah. You you dropped a lot on us with how much how much time on the clock? You got about sixty (laughs) seconds. (laughs) Oh what? Page, so yeah, you, you're definitely gonna have to call back next week so we can finish my so I can finish my antics. I don't have enough time to address everything that you said. So what I'm gonna leave you with is I'm gonna leave you with this: you have to get support from the family, not only physical support but emotional support, because you're identifying all of these things and, and you hit the nail on the head. Now that I'm not using. All of my 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 senses and are are raw, so I can feel and sense all of these things. What am I to do? Yeah, I have to get help from the family to help me with this. Okay, yeah. The family has to help. So reach yeah. out, just like you reached out here. Uh, but I definitely want you to call back next week because we, I want to I want to touch a little bit more specifically on some of the things that you said, I just don't have enough time to start. I don't want to start into it and get cut off because I'm, let me tell you something about my producer. He doesn't care. He will just cut me off mid-sentence if he has to, <laughs> okay. to, to get the show wrapped. So call back next week, all right? All right, I will. But in the meantime, get go to the family. I will. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. How's that? Am I on time? That's pretty good. You're a little over, but it's pretty good. We'll accept it. I didn't mean to throw you under the bus, but, you know. (laughs) It had to be done. (laughs) 
Okay, yeah. So, uh, great. Anyway, great show. I loved it. Good calls. Oh, just want to throw out a thank you to all the support that we continue to get. People calling in to listen. Uh, people calling in to participate. All the followers that we have accrued over the time. Uh, we would like to thank everybody for it. We really appreciate it. We'd like everybody to have a great rest of the week and a safe and fun weekend. We will see you next Tuesday.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.